Welcome to episode two of Travel Stories with your hosts, Trevor Mountcastle and Tom Kim. Tom, we've got a great topic to talk about today. It's a little bit more of an avgeek topic than necessarily a travel story, so to speak. But it's that international gateway that everyone loves to hate. Yeah, that's right. I think I have plenty of travel stories in that particular uh, international gateway. But yes, it is, it is not exactly everyone's favorite airport. And for those of you trying to think of, are we talking about London? Are we talking about Madrid? Are we talking about Schiphol? Are we talking about LAX? Well, folks, we are talking about John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York. Formerly Idlewild Airport. You know, that's an interesting one. I feel like I've heard that before, but I didn't know. I suppose, is that the town that it was? I think there was a golf course named Idlewild or something like that before just reading the Wikipedia page. Well, I think there's a lot more uh, playing through with the airport than I suppose the former golf course. So, you know, JFK has a lot of unique features. You know, I think it's one of the only, one of the few airports in the U.S. where the terminals are actually owned by other entities, uh, private entities for that matter. So that's an interesting one. What's the history on that? So I think when I looked at it, I think originally they had designed the airport to be one big terminal and then the airlines kind of rebelled and they said, hey, this is not big enough for future growth. So the government just kind of stuck it back at them and said, okay, well, that's fine. We'll just give you each of you guys a little bit of space and you can create your own terminal. Interesting. So let's talk through that. If I understand it correctly, Terminal 1 is owned by a consortium. Who owns that one? So Terminal 1 uh, is owned by uh, Japan Airlines, Air France, and the LH Group, among others. So you can see a, a lot of those carriers are, are flying out of Terminal 1 at JFK. Yeah, and I think it's kind of ironic that we had flown out of Terminal 1 on uh, on the trip we talked about in Episode 1, uh, that JAL first. What are the other uh, terminals that are actually owned by someone other than the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey? So Terminal 4 is an interesting one. They're owned by the Schiphol Group, which I believe are the ones that operate Amsterdam Airport, as well as Terminal 4. And also Terminal 7 is, is owned by uh, BA. I'm, I'm thinking some of the other terminals are also have some sort of ownership from the other airlines, but it's just really interesting that we have foreign ownership by either a foreign company or by a foreign airline in the case of Terminal 7. That is really interesting. And I wonder if that has any linkage to the, I suppose, how challenging JFK is to fly out of at some times, just, you know, from the tarmac delays and everything. Yeah, I, I think it just, it's kind of a big mishmash. I mean, it, I would say probably LAX is another one of these airports that, that is kind of the same way with so many different terminals with so many different airlines operating out of them. But at least in LAX's case, it's getting better where, you know, there really is airside connectivity between all the terminals where JFK, there's very limited, if almost non-existent uh, airside connectivity between I mean, I think you can go between like Terminal 2 and Terminal 4 if you're flying Delta, because those are both terminals where Delta operates domestic and some international flights. But pretty much all the other ones, you're, you're going to have to kind of go back outside security and take the air train if you want to uh, go between the different terminals. So connections tend to be a little bit more stressful, especially if you've got check bags and things like that. Yeah, certainly. And not only that, but the connectivity, even with the air train, it's still quite difficult to get to the actual city that you're trying to get to, that being, you know, largely Manhattan, just because of you've got to take the air train and then you've got to take, uh, oh gosh, it's been so long since I've taken the subway. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing is, you know, there's even stops on the air train that once you get beyond a certain point, you're going to start having to pay to get to those uh, subway stations, for instance. I think like the Jamaica station and uh, some of the, maybe the Howard Beach station, some of the other stations that have actual transit options, there's actually then an additional fee to, to either, I believe that I gets charged when you enter the air train system from the subway, when you go between those two intermodal forms of transportation. Yeah. Well, it's also notable to comment, though, that Blade does operate out of JFK. I don't know if I haven't done that personally myself. I think I was seeing some introductory costs somewhere between what uh, $99 and $149. I think if you had some level of uh, JetBlue status, that's going back a number of months. But interesting that JFK does have that option of, of taking a helicopter to get to lower Manhattan. Well, probably just because you know people are willing to pay that exorbitant price to avoid all the land-based options, which are not great. You know, I, I got to say, even if you do get a, a black car or something like that, you're going to be dealing with a fair amount of traffic getting to JFK, even from Manhattan or, or other parts of the, the new New York area. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably one of the reasons why we see a lot of folks flying into either LaGuardia or even Newark. As I understand it, and I haven't done the Newark to Manhattan, but as I understand it, it's actually a lot more streamlined and, and a lot more easy. You mean getting to Manhattan from the airport, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I think all the New York options, all the New York City airport options don't seem great in terms of being like having like, let's say the subway come right up to the airport. I'm, I'm not thinking even with a, a Newark, I think it's still New Jersey Transit or some other kind of mode, you know, for JFK, it might be like Long Island Railroad, you know, for LaGuardia, you might have to take a bus to the subway. But it, almost every airport, from what I understand, is going to involve more than one mode of operation or transportation to get you into Manhattan. Yeah, nothing's ideal there. But let's bring it back to JFK, the airport. We've got all these different terminals. All these different terminals have, in general, lounges. I think the one that doesn't is uh, JetBlue's terminal, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think I've been to JetBlue's Terminal 5, and they do have one priority pass lounge or an escape lounge of some sort, if I remember correctly. Not anything worth going to. <laughs> Very small, uh, very crowded, nothing significant. I think you're better off just you know having a meal you know, in one of the Terminal 5 restaurants. They do have a very nice outdoor deck area that not many people know about. And if you Google it, you can you can find out about it. But that is probably the one redeeming factor of JetBlue's Terminal 5. But yeah, strangely enough, not very many lounge options in such a large terminal that operates, you know, all of the JetBlue hub flights and a couple international flights too, like Aer Lingus. Yeah, it, kind of unfortunate there on T5. But perhaps we circle back to Terminal 1. Obviously, we know that Air France has a, a lounge there. I think they just opened or kind of did a renovation on that lounge a couple of years ago or perhaps a little bit sooner with that kind of two-floor lounge. Beautiful views of the tarmac. We know that Japan Airlines uses it. I'd imagine the other Sky Team partners use it. I think it's a Priority Pass lounge too. Do you recall? I don't recall. I know that we were able to go to it recently, and they're definitely one of the the two multi-story lounges that are at Terminal 1. Actually, you know, Terminal 1, my first trip with, with you just this year. That actually uh, finishes my bingo card for all the terminals at JFK. Well, you're far ahead of me. I think I've only flown... Ooh. I'll have to circle back on which ones I've actually flown. Yeah. Strangely enough, I've been scheduled on flights from Terminal 1 a number of times, but just uh, with EROPS and other things, I've just never actually flown out of that terminal until just this year. So circling back here, Terminal 1 Priority Pass actually shows Air France as one of their lounges. Korean Airlines is another lounge. Lufthansa's business lounge as well. 
And then they have the the prime class lounge, which is kind of in the basement down at the end of the terminal. Yeah, if I had to guess, and I haven't actually been there, but I'm, I'm thinking the Lufthansa multi-story lounge is probably the best lounge at Terminal 1. I mean, it does house you know multiple floors for their regular lounge, their senator's lounge, and then, of course, you know for their first-class passengers, they've got, I think, a separate floor just for them in that lounge. I think Matthew Clint over at Live and Let's Fly had done a recent report on that Lufthansa kind of three-story lounge. And it seemed reasonable, although I think there were some cutbacks because of COVID. Yeah. I would say, you know, Terminal 1 has some nice lounges, but I would say it's probably not, probably Terminal 4 is the one that has the most interesting lounges or the the largest number. Okay. So let's move to there. Party Pass is showing a couple of lounges that I, I, I have not been to myself. There's a Wingtips Lounge. And an Air India lounge. I, I did not know Air India had a lounge there. Have you been to either of those? I think I might have been to the Wingtips lounge. And I only say that because I believe that they moved into the space of the Swiss Air lounge. So Swiss Air used to have their own lounge in Terminal 4 when they flew out of there. But I think they've consolidated with the other LH group carriers out at Terminal 1. So I think Wingtips took over that space, which is a, a pretty nice space in Terminal 4. So what other lounges are there in, in Terminal 4 then? So Terminal 4 has, again, it's a pretty big terminal. And, you know, I know Delta is probably the biggest tenant there, but that's also where Emirates flies out of, Virgin flies out of there, Singapore flies out of there, a lot of different international airlines, Etihad. So uh, the Virgin Clubhouse is probably one of the most notable ones, and it is definitely one to go visit if you have the opportunity. Again, recently they were taken over by, I believe, uh, Plaza Premium Group. So as a Platinum American Express member, you may have access there, which is might be worth a, a quick visit if you've got time at Terminal 4 at JFK. Yeah, and probably just a footnote, I think there's only like four or five Virgin Clubhouses that you can actually access with that American Express. I know San Francisco is one of them. You mentioned JFK. Dulles. Dulles. Is LHR the, the fourth? I'm not sure if actually the Heathrow terminal is one where you can access it. I, I haven't checked it. I would say that's probably the one they want to protect a little bit. And the other thing is I'm not sure if that's the one that has been contracted through Plaza Premium Group. Because again, that's I think that cooperation with Plaza Premium Group is the one that is why Platinum American Express members are able to access it because they kind of contracted out the operations of those lounges, at least in the US, to that company, which if you recall, had a big falling out with uh, Priority Pass a year or two ago, where you know for the longest time you could use your Priority Pass to access a lot of these Plaza Premium lounges in Asia and around the world, and now you can't. That is true. And just to clarify or correct, it's not LHR; it's Newark that is the uh, is the fourth uh, Virgin ah, Clubhouse that, that, that American sense. Express can get into. But, you know, Terminal 4 has some other interesting lounges, too. I know the it's the main Delta Sky Club is there, the one for JFK for their hub operations. And that does have a very unique outside sky deck area where you can go ahead and, you know, uh, do some plane spotting uh, outside, uh, you know, on a, on a patio uh, and watch the planes take off, which is I would definitely recommend if you've got Sky Club access at Terminal 4. And then I know that they had done a renovation of the Emirates Lounge, but prior to that renovation, I know that you could board two of the gates directly from the lounge, and it was kind of a combined uh, first and business class type of lounge, but pretty big, as I recall, pretty expansive. Yeah, I've actually never had a chance to fly Emirates out of there. I'd have had a chance to fly Etihad, and that's another lounge that's in Terminal 4. I do recall it being pretty nice and pretty modern. Um they also have an American Express lounge, a Centurion lounge in uh, Terminal 4. 
Although once again, I was planning to stop by there, but I, I kind of got a little too comfortable in the Sky Club and never made it over there. Yeah. I'm just going on hearsay on this one, but I have heard that American Express Lounge is not their finest showing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I've been avoiding a lot of American Express lounges in general just because they've been so busy. You know, I, I, it kind of makes me sad because I just remember the heyday of when they were first coming out and not too many people knew about them, just how wonderful they were when they weren't crowded and, you know, you could get a massage uh, appointment very easily and, and they had all kinds of interesting goodies and things. But, you know, I now it seems to be, uh, in my mind, American Express Centurion Lounge equals chicken thighs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I get that reference. No, I just, it's its funny. It's like every single, I think, menu, the food they serve in there, I think every single American Centurion Lounge is serving chicken thighs because I think it's one of the more inexpensive things that they can offer on the menu. <laughs> uh, but you can sort of class it up a little bit with some spice and stuff. That's right. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's all like horrible chicken thighs. It's just, I look at the menu whenever I see a new Centurion Lounge opening, it's always, oh, and you know, on our buffet, we have chicken thigh. I'm like, Okay, yeah. Now, that's what I expect to see at, at the American Centurion Lounge now. Well, something to get excited about or not, I suppose. We already talked a little bit about Terminal 5 and the Be Relax Lounge. I think that's about all you've got if you're flying JetBlue. Who flies out of Terminal 7? So Terminal 7 is an interesting one, and it's not one that's long for this world. I think you got two main lounges there. you got the BA side. And then I think, you know, long ago, United used to fly out of, or actually, I think they even did for a little bit, but they gave up their lounge. And I think Alaska actually has a lounge in Terminal 7 as well. But Terminal 7 is one where I believe it's slated to be demolished in the near future. You know, British Airways is actually moving their operations out of Terminal 7, even though they own it, and moving it to Terminal 8, where uh, American is. So is there a future plan for Terminal 7, or I suppose the footprint of Terminal 7? Yeah, I think they're going to use it to expand probably Terminal 5 and Terminal 8, I think, is where the space is going to go. But yeah, it's it's going to get demolished. There will be no Terminal 7 in a couple of years. I think a BA is right now in the process of moving their operations. And I'm not sure when Alaska is going to leave, because I know United already has. Their couple of small flights, I think they said they finally canceled those out of, out of Terminal 7 recently. Well, I so, think United has pulled out of JFK entirely. They did. And, you know, that was one of those things that, you know, I forget if it was, I think it was Scott Kirby or somebody, one of the United executives said finally, yes, that was a mistake. We shouldn't have left. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty. It has always surprised me, quite honestly, given the amount of their partners that fly into JFK, that they didn't have the ability to provide that kind of last mile or that connecting service. I will say for Terminal 7, you know, it did have, I have been to a couple of the lounge, the BA lounges there. I always found them a little bit luster. I didn't think they were ever as good as the Heathrow lounges. And I'd probably say the same for the Terminal 1 lounges. I think almost all the international carriers there, I don't remember thinking that there's a, a particular lounge that is worthwhile, you know, compared to their other international lounges that are generally heads and shoulders above, you know, even the Concord room, you know, I just thought, meh, it was kind of uh, meh for me at least. You know, and that's an interesting thing because I think by and large, we see sort of the best lounge showing from some of the international carriers. You would expect it to be either in JFK or LAX, really. And I think LAX, there are some really good lounges, but JFK, other than that Emirates lounge, haven't really been wowed, except for perhaps as we move to Terminal 8, that kind of refreshed uh, American flagship lounge. 
I would say the flagship lounge in Terminal 8, and the good segue there to Terminal 8 there, uh, Trevor, but I would say that flagship lounge is a standout. It is very nice. And I think when they first opened it, they only had one half. And then I think they basically kicked out the regular Admirals Club, right? The Admirals Club used to be shared with the flagship lounge. And now the Admirals Club's all the way over across the tarmac to the satellite terminal. Yeah, but you know, it at least gives you something. I would say that it's probably, you know, on par. Actually, I think the JFK one's better than the uh, Chicago one, right? I would agree. I think it's got a lot more space. It's got first class dining. It's got the buffet. It's not that old. It's got great views of the tarmac, you know, so you can see the jets fly and take off. Yeah, I think it hits all the checks on the checklist. So have we missed any lounges? Have we missed any notable uh, notable points when we talk about kind of the lounge the lounge aspect of JFK or airport? Not really. I mean, again, I think the standouts, again, just to recap, are, are really that, that Terminal 8 American Airlines flagship lounge. I think Terminal 4, I think the standout is the Sky Club. I think um, generally, I think Sky Clubs are one of the better domestic lounges. And being that, you know, it's an international hub gateway for Delta, I think they do a really good job in there both with the food. I know it gets really crowded. I know sometimes you might have a line to get in, but you know, as far as Terminal 4 goes, I think that that's the standout is the Delta Sky Club. I think for Terminal 1, we we don't know. We, we assume that the Lufthansa Lounge is amazing. I'd say the Air France one is kind of middling. You know, I think we had the opportunity to go there and you know, we were not super impressed, quite honestly, although it is beautiful. So we've talked about the lounges. Tend to agree with you. Yeah, that flagship first lounge for American and the Sky Club. We already talked, I think, largely about the changes coming to JFK with respect to Terminal 7. Are there any other notable changes that that you're aware of coming to JFK? Yeah, I think probably the other one is, you know, Terminal 2, which is currently mainly just operated by Delta for a lot of some domestic and some select international flights. By the way, Terminal 2 is the oldest and dingiest. I'm going to go ahead and use that word dingiest. Uh, <laughs> Strong words. Yeah. You know, it It was, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, that one was, yeah, it is definitely the oldest and it was constructed, I think, from in the 1960s. Still here. It's the, it's the last one standing, I think, from that era. And if you went there, you would understand. It's definitely <laughs> not one that anyone's going to lament the destruction of, but I believe that one is also slated to be uh, demolished and make more space for uh, Terminal 1 and Terminal 2. And for that matter, I think Terminal 1 may also be on the chopping block. Um, if I remember correctly, I think... Uh, The former New York governor, Mario Cuomo, actually had some plans to have that particular terminal demolished and rebuilt a little bit larger. And, you know, us having been there recently, it's not terribly big considering that supposedly that's the main international terminal for New York, for JFK. In fact, I would say Terminal 4 has much more international flying than even um, that Terminal 1. So I think uh, when Terminal 2 gets demolished, I think they're going to be expanding Terminal 1 out and you're going to see a much larger Terminal 1 that can accommodate more international flights. Yeah, I think that'll be a big deal. Um, definitely seems pretty tight. I wouldn't want to be going out of there uh, late in the day or arriving in that afternoon of all those flights coming in from Europe. So, yep, some definitely some interesting things happening to JFK, although you know, I think uh, for the most part, what you see now is not going to change too much. Well, there's just not that much room to to make that many changes without impacting far too much on the operations side, I'd imagine. Well, and that does come to another interesting part or another part of why people love to hate JFK, and that's our hotel choices when you want to overnight or when you want to stay close to the airport. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, that you say that because they have this one really notable hotel, the TWA Hotel, that everybody loves to, you know, loves to say, hey, you know, this is the great AvGeek Mecca. 
But it's like a cathedral to TWA. Yeah, yeah. And from the pictures I've seen, it looks gorgeous, right? But it seems that that the experience you get is, you know, a mixture of super expensive for super low luxury or being nickel and dimed. For example, on the nickel and diming side, I think you've got to pay to go to the pool. And then on the low luxury, the rooms don't look terribly impressive. And They're pretty th- tiny from what I understand. Yeah, that that's what they look like. And then uh, I was talking with uh, Michael Traeger, who had been there, oh uh, golly, I want to say sometime over the summer. And he had mentioned that the aircraft they have out there, and I know you're going to know the aircraft type. I don't off the top of my head. The Constellation? Yes. The Constellation apparently doesn't have air conditioning. So you can go into that bar and you can sweat through you know, in the summer just to have a drink in the Constellation, but no air conditioning. I mean, it's it's pretty striking, I guess, what is it, feature of the hotel to have a, a Lockheed Constellation from the 1950s just sitting out there, you know, their flagship uh, aircraft from from that era. The era when that particular building was being created, actually, you know, that TWA Flight Center by uh, Aero Saarinen, you know, the, the iconic historical landmark feature that's part of Terminal 5. But you're absolutely right. The fact that that Constellation is a lovely bar with no air conditioning. I don't know. You know, can't somebody just buy like a window unit or something and just stick it in the back? I don't know. It could be kind of, you know, they could probably make it a little surreptitious or something. But seriously, do you, do you not think people want a little bit of, you know, you know, not drink their cocktails in, you know, 90 degree or 100 degree heat? I mean, anyway. And I realize I'm throwing stones from a, you know, from a house in that I haven't actually been to the hotel, you know, personally. But it just seems to me like they took this great iconic you know, iconic terminal. They have this great concept, but the execution wasn't perfect. And I mean, it's a bit of a cash grab, I think, from the owners. And I don't know if that's they need that cash grab in order to pay for all the historical stuff they put in there. I mean, I I will say there's probably a bit of a labor of love that went into that hotel. And the other comment that I would make, Trevor, is it's just still worth a visit. You know, I mean, even if you're not staying there, just go in, you know, take a look, take in the architecture, take in the lovely restored terminal, TWA terminal that's still there, that's still going to be preserved for the future, which it's a beautiful place. I have been there, haven't been at the hotel, but have been to the TWA flight center. You know, all the red carpet is still there, all the lovely architectural pieces from that bygone era, you know, that kind of 1950s, 1960s futurism is alive and well in that building. So even though I I would agree that the hotel itself is probably a pass because it's terribly expensive, it's overpriced, it's a cash grab, you're not going to be happy about staying there. But I don't know, some av geeks are like, you know what, I have to go to the cathedral, I have to pay my, uh, you know, my donation to the church of TWA, and they stay there. Yeah. One of these days I'll make it over there, uh, you know, perhaps not to stay the night, but at least to check out the lobby that and what they have there. What other hotels have you found that you like? I personally have only stayed at two. There's a Sheridan, which I think was an Uber right away, and um, the Hyatt Regency JFK over at Resorts World, which I found that hotel to be wonderful other than, again, you know, a 20-minute Uber ride to get there because I suppose the Hyatt Regency is not considered an airport hotel in in providing a shuttle of any sort. You know, I almost think there should be a law. You know, if you use the word JFK in your in the name of your hotel, there should in fact be an airport shuttle, don't you think? It would make tons of sense. It would really make a, little, a lot a of sense. A little too much sense. You know, I will say that most of my stays at JFK have been very middling and poor. And, you know, like I said, another reason to hate JFK. There really aren't a lot of good options, you know. So you mentioned the Hyatt Regency's JFK, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that stay. But 
again, that's not one where you're going to be able to hop on a shuttle and go there. You're going to have to pay for Uber. Yeah. Yeah. You know, talk a little bit more about that Hyatt Regency JFK. Brand new hotel. I think it's only been open for a year or so. Maybe by now it's 18 months. We had, or I had uh, just an overnight, flew in the, the evening before. They've got a lounge down on the first floor, which is not terribly common for Hyatt's. Marriott kind of in- embraced that probably about five, 10 years ago, this whole lower level lounge. But it was interesting to see that in the Hyatt Regency. I did not bother to go into the casino. Oh, that's right. It's actually a casino hotel, isn't it? It's it kind of built to support that Resorts World casino that's right out there. It is. It is. And it was funny because as the Uber driver was driving me up to the hotel, he said, don't bother going into the casino. It's all a scam. Apparently, there's some level of distrust among just the machine gambling versus you know the human gambling of tables and such. Needless to say, didn't bother going in there. Got a beautiful upgrade to a suite. The rooms are just incredible. Beautiful. I don't recall how high I was up. I think it was 14th floor. Or it felt fairly high. And I do remember having a view of the city. Uh, of, of that Manhattan skyline. But, you know, beautiful suite, two bathrooms, two full rooms, plus the bathrooms, I should say. The service w- was wonderful. And even though the lounge was really small, I thought, it was never packed. So it seems like that's still a hotel that is getting folks kind of, you know, having trouble getting folks kind of interested in, in, in staying there. Perhaps, you know, one of those reasons being the lack of the airport shuttle. Well, I think even with the lack of the airport shuttle, sounds like that's one of the better options in the JFK area. I know I've stayed at a courtyard. I stayed at a Radisson. I think I've stayed at that same Sheridan. All were pretty crappy. <laughs> you know, I can't say anything really good about those locations and, and that whole area around JFK. You know, you usually, you know, you'd have a, a nice like hotel area where, you know, that's what you typically see. But I guess for some reason, the way that uh, that particular area developed, I think we somehow missed that period of time where, you know, they, they, they thought, oh, let's set aside some space here near the airport for some retail and some hotels and th- things that will support the airport. They don't really have that. Everything's just kind of this big mishmash of, you know, uh, hotels that they kind of stick between apartment buildings and residential areas. And they're just all pretty bad, except it sounds like maybe the Hyatt Regency might be a good choice. Yeah, if I was going to do an overnight, I would definitely be staying at that Hyatt Regency. You know, it is interesting, sort of, you know, as you were saying that, it just makes me a little bit perplexed the way that JFK sort of operates, right? You know, a gateway to New York City, yet it's difficult to get to or from. A major international hub that one of the U.S.'s major airlines, United, doesn't actually fly from anymore to provide any any feeder service. That major international hub not terribly easy to go from one terminal to another, you know, for that connectivity. And, oh, by the way, not really any meaningful, good, comfortable, even, you know, not even close to luxury hotel options for those overnights if you do need to have an overnight, you know, whether you're connecting or kind of preparing for your trip. Yep. A lot of flaws in this major New York gateway to the world. Uh, you know, one of the most busy and popular, you know, airport airline gateways, you know, with foreign carriers and people, you know, that important, all those important routes into New York City. I will say this much, you know, it's probably the best plane spotting location on the East Coast, though, you know, so if you can't think of a better place to see, 
A380s, wide bodies, 747s, you know, it's going to be your best location on the entire eastern seaboard to see those things, you know, probably better than Newark, probably better than Dulles even. And I can't think of even Boston, you know, JFK is probably the one with the most A380s, you know, large wide bodies and things like that. Yeah, I'd say Dulles is probably the second because I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't even, I don't know whether Newark can even support an A380 or has regular A380 service, I should say. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely JFK and secondarily, I think Dulles that has the most uh, A380s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think Boston has some challenges there. I think Atlanta might have a few A380 gates, infamously that Qatar A380, but (laughs) yeah, I think there's not very much scheduled service down there. They used to have the uh, Korean Air A380 flew that once into Atlanta, but even when you consider, you know, even without the A380s, there's just such a variety of airlines I'm generally pretty good at being able to identify tails. And there are sometimes even at JFK that I just have to have to pull up flight radar uh, 24 or flight aware because there's a tail I just don't recognize. That's, you know, yep. you know, perhaps a South American tail or, you know, you just see a, see such a good variety of airlines there. Yep. I would agree. Yeah. It's, it's always fun watching the, and you know, there's a lot of different lounges and a lot of viewing places around the, in the various terminals to do that. So again, despite all its, you know, flaws, you know, that, that is one of the things that, that JFK does well is it gives you a great chance to see a lot of great airlines, a lot of great liveries, a lot of great, you know, wide body aircraft. They also have a fairly good selection of, you know, different retail and, and shops. I know, you know, I, I definitely make, uh, make use of Shake Shack when I'm in terminal four, for instance, and, you know, there are some interesting, you know, dining and shopping options. So, you know, it's not all bad. And even the air train, you know, I'll say, you know, on this last trip that we just took, I was super impressed at how quickly we were able to get off our flight onto an air train over to, you know, Federal Circle Station into a rental car and then on our way. It was surprisingly quick. It truly was surprisingly quick. So one of the reasons that I think a lot of people probably consider JFK that, that you know, love to hate yet still find themselves in JFK just like we had is because you do find that award space. I know that, you know, we've got friends from all over the country that, you know, don't have the kind of connectivity, you know, whether it's from Austin or even Dallas or, you know, pick any other flyover country area. In DC. Or DC. Yeah. Yeah. DC as well. And so positioning up there is usually another challenge in and of itself. I mean, the amount of American airline itineraries that you have flying into LaGuardia and then having to get into uh, get over to JFK because American has kind of cut back on the amount of flights that they're doing in, into JFK, period. We talked about United already, you know, having virtually no connectivity in, in directly into JFK. But, you know, any tips or strategies for positioning to JFK that you'd want to share? Well, you know, in the past, you know, I definitely did make use of the American flights, you know, from national to JFK, but those have been cut back. I mean, you know, it's very hard to find space on those. In the, in the past, that's how I often positioned up to one of those international flights, you know, whether it be on Cathay or JAL or whoever. But I think those were generally, they were down to like one or two flights on American per day. And I think it's probably even less than that these days. Uh, they really have seeded a lot of that domestic flying to JetBlue. As far as tips, I mean, honestly, the last couple of times I've had to position to JFK, you know, it's it's been one-way car rentals. You know, that's been the kind of the, the main tool in my uh, tool set to access those international flights from JFK. And it certainly gives you a little bit more confidence. Uh, obviously, you're fighting traffic and you're spending, you know, almost the same amount of time when you think about it, when you factor in the amount of, you know, the buffer that you need. Because at least for me, whenever I'm flying up there, I always want to make sure there's at least, you know, 
one or two more flights after the one that I'm booked on to be able to get up there in the event that my flight gets canceled. So I'm always trying to bake in extra time, you know, whether that ends up being extra time at, you know, Reagan National before getting up there, or if everything goes right, then I'm spending extra time in that terminal, you know, in that lounge, ideally. You know, that is a really good tip, you know, and, and one of the things you also have to be really cognizant of is if you are connecting or positioning on another carrier, you know, I've already, out of JFK in particular, actually, I've had to cancel multiple trips because I was positioning, let's say, on Delta. Delta had a delay. And of course, the, my next flight was on, let's say, American. And unfortunately, they're like, oh, sorry, you know, you're late for the, you're late for the plane. Can't help you. Yeah. And, and I think that's just exacerbated by the fact that you, you've got to do that air train, no matter how fast the air train is, you're still talking about going through security. Some of those terminals don't have the true TSA security, right? I think we encountered that in terminal one. I don't know which other terminals they might not have it. I, you know, I had a funny story about that. You know, I was flying uh, British Airways first from terminal seven. And of course they don't have pre-check in Terminal 7, at least not at this time. I cannot tell you how many interesting interactions I saw between all these like very well-dressed, you know, Wall Street type people. They're coming up and they're just acting like complete idiots because they, they're so used to flying TSA pre-check and they're like, damn it, I'm in first class. But they have to, you know, take off their shoes. They have to take everything out of their bag. And the TSA people in New York are so friendly. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> The friendliest, the friendliest. <laughs> so that was fun to watch, you know, just all these, you know, people who are, are just kind of used to be treated a little bit, you know, high and mighty, and they're being uh, basically cut down by all these New York TSA people. Anyway, that was entertaining for me, at least. Definitely is. Okay. Any final thoughts that we want to share uh, about JFK? I mean, it's an interesting airport. It's definitely, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily avoid it, but definitely do your homework. You know, there are lots of little ins and outs about the logistics of, of JFK. It's not the easiest airport to get in and out of. It's not the easiest airport to even walk around. You know, I mean, it's crowded. You can't get between terminals airside. There's lots of information out there. You know, you can always hit us up too. You know, we're, we're not exactly neophytes when it comes to JFK, but I know there's lots of great information out there about, about your, your trip planning for JFK. Absolutely. And really, the, the reason that we all get drawn there is because of the space and the connectivity. I think that's really where the value of JFK is, is, you know, the fact that you can get, you know, a nonstop from JFK to, right to Tokyo. You, you can get nonstop to most of the large hubs, most of the major cities in the world. I mean, Singapore is the longest operated flight or no, it's now the second longest, right? Because now you can fly Air New Zealand to Auckland. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you, I mean, just the incredible connectivity that you have from JFK is, I think that's really where it shines. I will say there's definitely a pull for me to JFK. I will say the, the route that I've flown the most from JFK is JFK Hong Kong, which I've flown in first class, I'd say at least 14, 15 times, which is kind of crazy. I hope we get those days again. You know, we lost that Cathay Pacific Fifth Freedom flight from JFK to Vancouver, then onward to Hong Kong. At one point, I think uh, Cathay had, what, three flights, one of which was that stop in Hong Kong? Sorry, that stop in Vancouver? I think for a while there, it was four. I think it was the the one with the the stopover flight in Vancouver, and then there were, I think, three others. There was like a morning, there was a late evening, and then I, I don't know if it was a midday, but I think it might have been maybe even two in the evening or something like that. Yeah, I believe it. It was just incredible the amount of opportunity and options for getting to Hong Kong that you had back in the day. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, it's the two big, it's two big financial centers and, 
yeah, I, I do lament uh, that, you know, obviously it's, it's cut back a lot. You know, it's, I think it's just probably just the one daily right now between JFK and they might still have a Newark flight too, though. Yeah. I'm trying to think if they do. That Newark flight though was just a three cabin. It was economy, premium economy and business class. So it, it, it didn't always uh, pop up on my radar. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Just flying Cathay business. Oh no. I, I mean, we've all done it, you know, for that, for that one period where, where Dulles actually had the A350-1000 flying Dulles to Hong Kong. That was really nice. That's another travel story that we probably have to talk about at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.